Welcome to episode 16 of the Guns and Yoga podcast. My name is Wendy Hummel, and this week we continue our podcast series where I interview other first responder podcast hosts. This week I talk with the Within the Trenches podcast host, Ricardo Martinez. He is doing amazing things within the dispatch world by bringing awareness to issues surrounding burnout, wellness, and self-care through the power of storytelling. He talks about how burying his own calls and not reaching out was personally detrimental to him. He used this as motivation for what started as a college project blog and eventually turned into what he has created today with his Within the Trenches podcast. The podcast is based on his own experience as a dispatcher. The stories he shares are based on all types of calls. The show's informative, funny, and eye-opening. Dispatchers around the globe have been featured on his podcast. If you find value in this episode, please share it, give us a review, and if you'd like to be notified of future episodes and want to receive our future newsletter, you can subscribe on our Podbean website. I would love to hear from you with any suggestions, questions for future guests or topics that you'd like to hear more about. Enjoy this episode. Welcome everyone to the Guns and Yoga podcast. My name is Wendy Hummel. Today's guest is Ricardo Martinez II. He is the host and creator of Within the Trenches. It's a podcast based on the experience of being a 911 dispatcher. He himself is a former dispatcher and supervisor of 13 years and is the head of Within the Trenches Media. In August of 2016, Ricardo started the I Am 911 movement that spread from the United States to Canada, the UK, New Zealand, and Australia. Its popularity and success has brought the thin gold line into the spotlight and has opened the eyes of millions to what 911 dispatchers deal with on a daily basis. Welcome to the show, Ricardo. Hey, thank you for having me. This is this is going to be good because, you know, we, we met recently and I was immediately intrigued already. So this is going to be good. I'm excited. I'm glad you to say that. What So what intrigued you? Just the, well, first the, the name of your show and, <laughs> okay. and to learn more about that. And, you know, we were, we were just talking about a, a bunch of different things. It's good to be able to talk to people who, um, especially in the, in the podcast world, uh, world as well on, uh, you know, some of our interests, how we relate and how we can help each other. So it was good. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And actually, I don't even know if you know this, Ricardo, but you are kind of a part of my podcaster series in the month of June. Mm-hmm. So I, I have been intrigued with podcasting for years. I have been listening um, to podcasts for years. I finally started my own and I just thought, you know, I really want to reach out to those that have been doing this for a while that have inspired me. I had heard of you. Um, You are actually not my first dispatcher on my show, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I did have one other before you. Her name is Pam Apoka. She's from the Kansas City area. I and I think you guys may know each other. If yeah, I'm not yeah, mistaken. we know each other. I know Pam. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who doesn't know Pam, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> she's, exactly. She's a rock star. So, um, but yeah, no, I'm so happy to have you. And there's just so many things I want to talk to you about. But, but, but just so uh, in case people are like living under a rock and they don't know who you are from the dispatch world, um, can you just tell us a little bit about you, um, how you got started. I'm going to kind of reverse what you usually ask people. I think usually ask people how they get started under the headset. Mm -hmm. 
So I literally fell into it. <laughs> it was Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I so you know, I had I I had moved to uh to Florida. Um, actually, no, let me start again. I, I didn't move. I actually went to visit uh, my okay. my mom and my sisters and my grandmother. My brother and I went to go visit. We were only going to stay for a couple of weeks, and it turned into three and a half years. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. kind of know what that's like, because that's what happened to me uh, moving to Kansas. Here I am 25 years later. <laughs> good. So I'm in good company. You know how that works then. <laughs> yes, I do. So. I, I end up going out there and and really it was just to kind of um, kind of figure out some things that were going on in my life. You know, I kind of hit a, a, a snag, uh, a rock bottom, if you will. <laughs> and and I was trying to, um, you know, just just move up and, right. and figure out, you know, what I was going to do, you know, with my life. And so I go out there to visit. And, uh, you know, as I said, I ended up staying out there for a while. But um I was out there with, with, with my mom, I was staying with them for like about a month or so. And I remember she asked me if I thought maybe I should look for a job because I had been there for a while now. <laughs> so I, I said, sure, you know, and you know, I, I only had retail experience, uh, management experience, um, at that time. So I, I was looking all over the place, couldn't find anything. And, you know, she ends up, um, telling me that uh, one of my family members, um, their husband knows the chief of police. And at the time, I didn't know why that was significant. I was just, okay, awesome. You know, <laughs> and, and she goes, well, they, they're hiring dispatchers. Oh. And, uh, you know, they, maybe you want to try it out. And I thought, I have no idea what dispatchers do at all whatsoever. Um, you know, I, I'm a big Shatner fan. So Rescue 911 was one of the shows that I really dug, uh, you know, growing up. And I thought, what the hell? You know, I'll I'll try it. I'll, I'll, I'll go. And um, I go in there and, you know, give them my application and everything. And, and I hear I get a call back to go in and I have my interview. I'm there with the chief and the lieutenant and they're firing questions at me. And um, eventually I ended up getting the job. But during that time when they were firing questions at me, like they were firing them and, and thinking about it later, I realized they were, they were testing me mm -hmm. to see if I could handle the pressure of all <laughs> these questions that were going to come at me. But at the time I just thought, uh, I, I didn't know what I thought, I guess, but I didn't hear anything from them for about two months. Um, so I thought, you know, I, I had completely screwed up the interview, mm -hmm. um, because there was nothing, there was no phone call. There was no, you know, nothing at all letting me know that, uh, hey, you moved on to the next uh, phase of bringing you in, uh, or the hiring process, rather. And just one day out of the blue, the chief of police shows up at my house. But my grandmother, who only spoke uh, Spanish, came into the room as I'm, like, starting to doze off and, and take a nap. And uh, she's yelling at me, and she's, she's saying that the police are here. And then she goes, what did you do? And... <laughs> That's funny. And, and I, I said, I didn't do anything, I don't think. And, and I go out there and it's the chief of police. And, and he asks if I still wanted the job. And I said, yeah, I, I just, I didn't think that I had gotten the job or anything because it's been so long. And he said, well, we've got a lengthy, you know, background process. And I said, well, when do I start? Like next week? And he goes, no, you start tonight. And I was like, oh. What? <laughs> yeah. I was like, tonight? like tonight tonight <laughs> and and he goes yeah you're gonna work the midnight shift and and it was a it was a 10 uh 10 p.m to 6 a.m shift 
is what I was going to be working. So I, I go in and I meet my trainer and he starts showing me, you know, all the stuff that's there. And uh, he takes a 911 call and I observe him. And then he turns around when he's done and he looks at me and he goes, all right, you're next. Wow. <laughs> like, holy crap, are you for real? Like, there's nothing else? <laughs> Things were a little different back then, huh? <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, and this was 2001, though. This is yeah. 2001. And, and but, you know, again, it's a small police department. Sure. It's a small town, mm -hmm. blink of an eye place in uh, central Florida. And uh, it's not there anymore. The county ended up, uh, you know, consolidating. They swallowed it up, as I was told. Mm -hmm. So, um but when I left after my three and a half years, you know, it was still there. But that's how I got started. It was it was really just just trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, trying to claw my way back up from the crap that I was dealing with in Michigan and um, going to visit. And this opportunity came and I took it. I, I took a leap of faith. And years and years later, this year I am doing a bunch of other stuff with, with 911, but there was tons of stuff that I went through in the beginning, of course. Um, but that's, that's how I got that start. That's why I say I kind of fell into it because I go to visit and I stay there for three and a half years. And I start this awesome career in public safety that I never thought that I would have done. Well, and it sounds like your mom's the one who you have to thank for that. She's the one who said, here's this job, get to work. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she would, I, I talk to her about it, you know, every so often. And, and, and actually, when I do live broadcasts and stuff, she will be in the audience, uh, you know, on, on Facebook Live or Twitter or whichever. She'll be in there and she'll just say, hola, you know, she's saying hello. And, and everyone, because she's been in there so much, everyone knows her by name. Oh, <laughs> so that's hilarious. Th yeah, they'll say hello. But, um, you know, we've talked about it before. It's like, what do you, what do you think, where do you think you would be, you know, if, if we, if you hadn't been here or if we hadn't talked about, you know, trying out dispatch and it's like, I don't know, I, I think I would have done something. I don't know. I, I'm not really sure. It's an odd question, but you know, we talk about it sometimes and, and yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that that opportunity came up because it led to so much more. So I'm sure you've asked her this before. So was she just trying to get you to work and get you out of the house and off the couch? Or did she just really think that this was something that you would be good at? I think both, actually. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was both, but but more so because you know I had had such bad luck already trying to mm -hmm. find a job in retail management like I was in before. The county that we were in is like the... I don't know how it is now, but during that time, it was the like the least paid um, county out of all the counties in Florida. And uh, everyone was was having, a, you know, an issue trying to find work and stuff, um, but especially in retail during that time. I don't know why. I don't know what was going on during that time. But, um, you know, from there, I think she was just kind of looking for other things. And, and I was home all the time. Um, and I, I mean, I would go and hang out with family and stuff, but I would come home when I wasn't looking for a job. So, you know, I think she kind of sound, saw me, you know, at my lowest, just down and out and trying to figure out what to do. And, uh, I knew at the time that, you know, school was something I wanted to do as well. But for that moment, I, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to find a job. I wanted to do something 
and I'm always doing something. And, and, and that was one of those. So when that opportunity came up just in conversation one day, she's like, I think you would be really good at this. You've got the management, you've got leadership, you know, you've done all of this stuff, just try it. So I did. And it was amazing. It was, it was a great, great choice and opportunity. Yeah. Good job, mom. Yeah. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> so you said you worked at this small agency in Central Florida for three and mm -hmm. a half years. So after that, where where did your career go from there? Yeah. So I I ended up. Um, you know, I I learned a lot when I was there. You know, um, some of the, the, you know, my first call that I took there, which was you know that night that first day, it ended up being nothing. It was just a misdial. And uh, it was about a week later that I ended up taking like a 40-hour beginner's uh, dispatcher's course. And so they taught us a lot of different techniques and everything. Um, but again, you know, the call volume wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that high because it was a small area and a small agency. It wasn't until I moved back home to southwest Michigan where I grew up that um everything changed. <laughs> so I'm there for three, you know, those three and a half years, I, I meet my wife there. And um, I end up bringing her back to the cold. She's from Florida. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she's known the heat her whole life. So I, I bring her to cold Michigan, Southwest Michigan. And um, I end up getting a job and finishing off my dispatching career in the county that I grew up in. And uh, you know, I start out as a dispatcher and call taker and move up to a supervisor. But there are, again, so many other things that end up happening when I work there, mainly because when you work in a place that you grew up in, you are bound to take phone calls from people that you know. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole west side of the county is the area where those were my stomping grounds. The east side of the county, I kind of knew a little bit, but on the west side, I pretty much knew everybody around there. And then in the, the city that I grew up in, of course, there were, I would be taking phone calls from people that I went to school with or, uh, you know, people that I knew through my parents, um, family members, you know, I, I would take phone calls. When my grandmother passed away, I took that phone call. Oh, wow. So there were a lot of things, you know, that, that I, that I learned, uh, while I was there, it was, uh, it was a good experience, even though, you know, I, I took that one call from my grandmother for my grandmother rather, and, um, you know, all types of other calls, but I, I learned a lot, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was something. I bet, you know, I've talked to a lot of cops that have patrolled in areas that they grew up in and have heard, you know, mixed things. I mean, some of it is, it's very helpful because people know them, they grew up with them, they're familiar with them, and there's more of credibility and a trust factor. And, and sometimes it wasn't always that way, but I never actually thought about it for a dispatcher. So when, when they would call, whether it be family or friends, did they know you were on the other line, on the other side of that phone call? Not all the time, especially those that I, that I went to school with, or that, I, you know, that I knew growing up because, um, in the area, everybody knew me as rich. Mm -hmm. um, and for family, they called me Richie. <laughs> so, <laughs> or, or friends, you know, they would call me Richie. So that's how they knew me. But whenever I answered the phone, like non-emergency, like 911 calls, I 
never it was rare that I gave my name. But for non-emergency calls, you know, I would I would say the agency name and then this is Ricardo. So cuz that's that's my actual name. That's my given name. So if anyone ever asked uh, my name on the phone on a 911 call and it was somebody I knew and I said, "Well, my name's Ricardo." They didn't know. They uh, they wouldn't know that it was okay. me unless I actually said, "This is this is Rich." And and you know, there were a few times where uh, I spoke to friends and I actually said my name, but you know, that's, there's a fine line there when you say who you are, because one, they will be comfortable because they're speaking to someone that they actually know and they will give you more information or two, the other side of that, they'll be embarrassed because now someone they know knows their business, knows what is going on and they might not want to give so much information. So, it was, it was a case by case basis, of course, but uh, with family, um, I would tell them that it was me. I remember my aunt calling once, and she thought someone was breaking into the house next to her, and she was just ups completely upset. And and I told her, um, I, I find to calm her down. I finally I finally said Thea, which is you know aunt in Spanish. Uh, I was saying Thea, Thea. I said it's 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 Richie. It's it's me. And she goes, I, Richie, I'm so glad that it's you. And like everything changed. She went from being fully upset to completely calm and just telling me what she saw that was going on. Luckily, I got to tell her on uh, on the phone as we had already toned it out for, you know, this break in progress that was going on that um, that it was actually an officer who was there in the area he hadn't checked in with us to tell us that he was doing extra patrol because, you know, we would get um, calls from people saying, I'm going to be gone for, you know, a month or something or a couple of weeks on vacation. Um, if I, I could just put in for extra patrol to have an officer go by every so often to make sure, right. you know, nothing has happened to my place. So that's what was going on. The officer just didn't tell us that he was going to be in that area. So it was it was cool that, you know, I was actually able to tell my aunt it's okay. It's actually an officer who's there because all she could see was a person and like, you know, flashlights and everything going around. So she thought somebody was breaking in, but, uh, you know, there's, there were other times where I didn't tell anybody who I was just in case they, they didn't want to give information after that. Well, yeah. And it sounds like you were able to kind of feel out each situation as they, mm -hmm. as they came up. Right. So you, so you ended up back in your hometown. Is that where you completed your career before you left dispatching altogether? Yes. Yep. I, I ended up uh, staying there and finished off the rest of my career. And uh, it was, it was just a, a good experience to be able to do all of that. But, you know, during that time as well, um, which is what led to everything that I do now is me hitting burnout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So what was that like? I, I ended up hitting my burnout about six, five or six years into being at that agency. And um, it sucked. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it, was, it was horrible because, you know, it, and it also started out, actually, it had been building up. But it, when, I, when I first got done with my training, um, that weekend... I was forced in for overtime twice mm -hmm. that weekend. And we were short staffed like crazy. And just like a lot of centers are now, you know, they, they still are short staffed. 
but we were so short staffed that um, you know we had a, we had a force enlist. So if if somebody calls in and you're at the top of that force enlist and nobody calls back for the overtime, it's automatically yours. But your name goes down to the bottom of the list. Um, also, if you volunteer, um, it would go to the bottom of the list as well. But uh, so we were volunteering. One of my coworkers and I were volunteering for overtime like crazy, just so that we wouldn't get forced in. But when we would come in for those overtime shifts that we volunteered for, we were getting forced in on top of that. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. That's a lot. So it was it was getting really bad. Morale was low, and I loved the job. I loved what I was doing. The you know county politics and everything was just making things toxic. We weren't allowed to take any time off. Wow, any time off. And at first, they were telling us that we were not going to be able to roll over our uh, vacation time to the following year because that's not how they do it. So we had to fight for that. And and it was the only time that they allowed us to actually roll it over. And I'm pretty sure I had like 300 hours worth of vacation time. And when I finally got the chance to take time off, I'm pretty sure I took a month off and I was in Florida with my family. <laughs> Good for you. So you're saying that they not only would they not allow you to take any vacation, but then they were going to basically make you give it back. You were going to lose it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Okay. Yeah, it was it was it was that. And, uh, you know, we were we were up for, you know, negotiations on contracts for money and all this other stuff. And um, because we were a central dispatch, we weren't with the sheriff's department. Uh, and, and we were part of the union. You know, we we didn't have a lot of legs to stand on, but but we did a lot of fighting and stuff. But um you know, again, the morale was down and it just really, really sucked around there. And everybody was just working and working and working and working. I was working so much that my, my family and I, we were basically roommates. Mm, yeah. Like I was, I would sleep at the dispatch center so that uh, I, cause I, I lived 45 minutes away. So I would sleep there and do my overtime shift go home for a few hours and then come right back and, and work another 12 hour. And I needed to find a way to kind of rekindle my passion for for nine one one. Well, how um, long how long did that pattern that you just described go on for? Oh man, months, six months, mm -hmm. maybe a little more. Yeah, <laughs> it went on a for a time. while. Yeah, yeah. And and when you're doing twelve, sixteen, the longest shift I worked during that time was an eighteen hour shift. Oh my, yeah. The, only thing that made it awesome though well okay there were uh, there were a few things one it was the crew that i worked with of course you sure know, we were family and and those out in the field but the other thing was it was on christmas eve going into christmas day mm -hmm. so I, I was getting double time and a half <laughs> that can help a little bit i i would agree with you there <laughs> yes yep just a little bit but when i when i finally got home i remember i stayed awake uh so that i could have Christmas morning with my family and then sleep for maybe three and a half hours and then go back. Oh my God. That's and, insane. And work. Yeah. Yeah. It was horrible, but, uh, you know, we made it happen. We made it work. Luckily during that time as well, I'm pretty sure that like the weather was pretty bad <laughs> snow wise. So a lot of people actually stayed home and, uh, there wasn't a lot of calls that were coming in and because the roads were kind of dangerous out there, you know, a lot of the officers weren't out, out on the road unless they really needed to be out there for something, especially because the public wasn't out there either. So 
there were there were some silver linings here and there. <laughs> well, you know, and it's I'm glad you're saying this because like so as a as a law enforcement officer, especially because I spent most of my career as a detective, I'd get called in all the time and it would be not you know, very typical for me to come into work for 17, 18, 20 hours to respond to something that that needed to happen. You know, we had to work an investigation, a case. Oftentimes it was a you know violent crime. But, you know, you don't think about it. Even me um, working with dispatchers, you don't ever think of it in terms of other public safety professionals having to do the same thing. So I'm glad you're you're talking about that because hearing cops talk about that, you know, it's it's kind of what we signed up for. We know what to expect, especially if you're going to work, you know, on a call out status. Mm -hmm. But I've never really thought about it in terms of dispatch. So I'm really glad. Even for me, that was pretty eye opening to hear you talk about that. Yeah, we we had a we had a lot of times, <laughs> and <laughs> you know, a, a lot of things that you know those out on the road, you know, didn't understand either, and. Uh, it was it was good, I guess, in a, in a sense that I ended up hitting this burnout because it's actually what started everything that I do now. Sure. I ended up I ended up going back to school and, and I couldn't do, um, you know, traditional college. I couldn't go and sit anywhere because I was working way too much. There was mm -hmm. no way yeah. I would have never made it. So I, I did everything online. So in between phone calls. I'm doing homework. <laughs> I'm, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I and and I let's see. It was three or four years, I think. Yeah, something like that of of just nonstop school that I was doing, uh, and and while in dispatch, and it was uh, it was good. I mean, it, it was good because it led to everything. You know, now you know, I ended up uh, getting three different degrees, and um, but yeah, in between phone calls, I'm, I'm doing my discussions or I'm doing other projects, but the way how this relates to, you know, reigniting my, my passion for 911 was all of the big projects that I was doing in my classes had to do with dispatch. It had to do with public safety. And, and during that time during, with, with my burnout and everything else, I was one of those dispatchers who buried their calls. I didn't talk about them. Mm -hmm. And of course, Nobody did because they didn't want to be the weak one. They didn't want to be the one who looked weak by talking about their calls and trying to get some sort of help. And I was I was the same. And I thought I was leaving it at work and being fine at home. But that's BS. We all know that. Uh, and, and maybe people don't know or don't realize. But when you say you leave it at work, sometimes just your silence at home is a big eye opener. Sure. And. And that's what was going on with me. I didn't have anyone to talk to um, about it, or at least anyone that I felt comfortable with. Again, you know, that fear of looking weak uh, by asking for help, which is so weird, right? And so think about it now. It's so odd to think that. Um, but that's where I was at. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to find a way to share my stories. Um, so in school, you know, they, we were doing a lot of blogging. And I, uh, I was a supervisor at this time. And I, I remember asking permission from the deputy director. And I said, look, this is what I want to do. I want to share my stories. I'm not going to share any addresses, names, nothing that would get us sued. I'm merely talking about my experience because I was part of this call as well. Um, because these calls stick with me and I don't really have people to talk to, um, again, or anyone that I, I felt comfortable with, um, so 
I want to write about them. I want to, I want to blog about it. And I'm going to call it within the trenches, you know, like within the trenches of 911. And she says, no. And I said, oh, I thought you would think it was kind of cool. <laughs> and, Not what and you she, expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and she goes, no, she goes, we're it's we're going to get in trouble. You know, you're going to get in trouble. We're going to get sued and all of this other stuff. And I said, okay, well, I, it was it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time now. And um, I ended up leaving her office. And I poked my head back into her office and I said, wait a minute. I said, during our supervisor meeting a couple of weeks ago, didn't you say that you all as admin and the county are not allowed to regulate our feelings online? And she goes, well, yeah. And I said, well, okay, thanks. Oh, <laughs> seed planted. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So be, before the blogging part, though, there was, um, there was a project that I did. It was called uh, Behind the Mic Stories from the Trenches. And I'd been already playing around with the idea of sharing these stories. And what the project called for was telling a story, either doing it in animation with music uh, and the narration, of course, or using still pictures. So I went for still pictures. And I asked a couple of my coworkers if they would help me with this. And I said, I want to share your stories. I said, I want to share how you got into dispatch your worst call, your best call, and why you do what you do. And, and they were all about it. And they did it. And I ended up getting an A on the project, which was which was good. But of course. after that, I thought, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought, you know, I think I've got something here. Like, I think, I think this could, this could work. So that was the first um, version of what is what I do now. And that was back in 2010. And then, you know, I started blogging and sharing all of these stories and it was therapeutic and a lot of people really got into it and wanted to learn more about what it's like, what it's really like to answer a phone call, yeah. 911. And one thing that I want to make sure people who are listening know, because I read this before you and I started recording, mm -hmm. is that you your degree is in like graphic design and in journalism. Is that correct? So these are why you're doing these sorts of projects. Yeah, yeah. So um, the first uh, degree that I went for was for web development. And then the second okay. one was in graphic design. And it was in the graphic design one where that project came out it was it was digital storytelling. And uh, during that time, they had us blogging and blogging. And, uh, and then my master's is in uh, new media journalism. So in that one, that's where they introduced us to podcasting, which is where completely fell in love with that type of this type of storytelling it was something that i was doing already and i thought you know all of these stories going out there have been have been powerful and and i, re I remember uh thinking as well that you know if i could get other dispatchers to come on and share their stories with their voice it would be that much more powerful and impactful so that's what i wanted to do i wanted to turn the written segment of the blog um, of within the trenches into a podcast. And obviously that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it ended up happening. And, uh, but, but it almost like I was, I was scared that it wasn't going to happen actually, because the way it started for me was through a, uh, um, crowdfunding platform 
I didn't have the money to, um, to have any equipment or anything like that. I had bought a couple pieces, which is why, if, <laughs> I'm sorry, it makes me laugh because the first maybe 20 episodes, no, the first 15, 10 to 15 episodes, there the audio is in mono. It's not stereo. And, and it's because of the equipment that I had at the time. Um, I, I didn't have great equipment. It actually, actually started out with um, just, you know, a headset, just headphones that you would plug in with a microphone on it. Right. And then eventually I had, I had this one single speaker that allowed for two XLR um, uh, cables and microphones to be, and we had to hold on to them to be able to, to record an episode. <laughs> so humble beginnings. Well, and here you are, because I looked and I think you have like something, 387 episodes that you have recorded since you started. That is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it, I actually, so when, right before we started, when we were talking and I said, I just finished an episode. <laughs> yeah, I just finished episode 388 and it was just kind of sharing um, uh, stories that, uh, my own stories, but uh, calls that I had taken that refer to, um, you know, working in an area that you live in, that you might know people, um, triggers as well as closure and how to deal, you know, mm -hmm. how some of those calls relate to some of those. So yeah, 388, it's, it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah. And so now that we're talking about your podcast, so tell me a little bit, if you don't mind, just about, I've listened to a couple about mm -hmm. the format. So you, you, you just described you just doing like a solo cast, but you have guests on as well, obviously, because you said you like to share people's stories. So it's kind of a combination of those different types of, of discussions and kind of alternate or how does that work? Yeah. So it, um, it started out, of course, with with having guests on, yeah, and um, you know, just doing, you know, just the story format, just regular interview, you know, going back and forth, and and I say interview, but it's more just like what we're doing right now. It's just really a conversation, mm -hmm. a real conversation. Nothing, uh, you know, is is edited, you know, unless somebody wants something edited. I just keep it the way it is, the, the raw audio, it just goes through there. Um, of course, you know, if there's like some background noise or there's too much of, you know, notifications or something, those are the pieces that I edit out. But the, the dialogue itself, I want that conversation to be real because the whole point of it in sharing these stories is for people to get a, a real outlook on it. You know, when we're taking phone calls, we're not seeing anything, right? we have to piece everything in our heads to be able to pass that on to the radio uh, dispatcher to get out to those in the field. So in, in this as well, you know, when we're telling these stories and it's just audio, they too are piecing together what it is that we are talking about. Yes. And, and trying to understand more and see through our words. So, that's that's how I've kept it with guests. But there have been a few episodes where I have gone uh, on solo just to share, you know, some insight mm -hmm. on some of my own stories and and just so that people can can listen, because the whole point of it as well, as well is so that people realize that they're not alone. You know, when I first started doing this, I would get a bunch of emails from people saying, I thought I was the only one. You know, I'm I'm in training and I heard you talk about this or someone else talked about this, and I feel so much better because I almost quit. I was almost done. But now that I know that there are other people out there dealing with the same thing, I'm going to keep going, and I'm not going to stop. 
And there, there was a, actually a deputy that I worked with as well um, who listened to the first three episodes and real hardcore officer <laughs> and, you know, former Marine and everything like take no anything, take no crap. And, uh, and he's, he's awesome. We're still really good friends, but I remember he sent me a message and he said, Hey, he goes, I just want you to know that, uh, I've learned more about dispatch in these first three episodes than I have in like the 20 years that I've worked in public safety. Keep doing what you're doing because now I understand more of what it is that you all go through. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that is, that is something right there. It, it really is. And it's interesting, like for a couple of reasons. So first of all, I can completely relate to what he's saying, because since I've been um, managing peer support for the agency I work at, we do a lot of our debriefings and our trainings with other first responder agencies. So mm -hmm. I've been talking to a lot of dispatchers, fire, EMS, and, and I couldn't agree more with what he said. I, I always knew how important dispatch was. You're the, you're the first person who someone calls and it's your job to get that information out to us. Uh, but I didn't realize just how impactful those call that, you know, you being that first line of communication for that person um, before we get there and how that impacted the people that, you know, take the calls. And so um, when you were talking earlier about your burnout, when you first started talking about that, what was what really stood out to me was that what you were describing, you sound exactly like a cop. I mean, the burnout, the way that it manifests, the way that you felt, the way that you stuffed it down, the way that you went home and you isolated, all of that. That's what we talk about now. When we, you know, so, so what I think is such an important message about what you're saying is that it's no different if you're a dispatcher or if you're, you know, a cop, we're experiencing that burnout or that compassion fatigue. It feels the same. Yeah, it fully. Mm -hmm. And and that was, you know, also one of the main reasons to um, to start doing what it was that I was doing, because, you know, OK, so here's <laughs> here's something kind of funny. One of the things also that really made me want to do this was, um, you know, in the in the beginning, you know, people would always say and, and I'm specifically talking about when I would go get my hair cut, uh, you know, you've always got someone who wants to start, you know, some small talk which is completely fine because, you know, that's what you do. You you relate and you talk and you get through, you know, the haircut and it's it's a good experience, right? And and I would, I, they would say, so what do you do for a living? And I always hesitated. I would, oh man, here we go. Because mm -hmm. I knew exactly what was going to happen. And they I would say, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 911 dispatcher. And then that sounds like, a crazy job. What's the craziest call you've ever taken? And and at the time, I, it was it was slightly annoying because I was like, oh man, like now I have to talk to you about some of the crazy stuff. But but I would always give a funny call. You know, I would give a a funny crazy call. Um, but then you know, as it happened more and more and more, not just getting my haircut, but other people, I realized. Well, people just don't understand exactly what it is that we do right. or why we do what we do or what happens when we're taking this call. So I flipped my thinking and um, decided to take it as an opportunity to educate the public. 
on what it is that we do. So then every time someone would ask, I would just go ahead and tell them because as humans, you know, we're naturally curious. So why not? Just tell them. Of course, not the crazy, crazy stuff, because if I'm dealing with that stuff, you know, I don't want I don't want to put that on them either. So, sure. you know, I, I might give kind of an overview of what, you know, crazy call, but nothing ever in detail, but also say, you know, we're there with the caller. You know, we're we're focused. We're calm. It might sound like we don't care, but in the back of our minds, we're right there with that caller mm -hmm. and feeling every single thing that they are. Yeah, absolutely. So when you when you started to share, I'm just curious, when you started to talk more openly about it, did that help you kind of overcome that burnout or did that how did that personally impact you when you started to do that? Yeah, it was uh, you know, <laughs> it's like I said earlier, it's funny to think, you know, that we don't if we just opened our mouths to mm -hmm. talk, you sure. know, that the things would be a lot better, but there's always those fears. And uh, basically, I just didn't care anymore. And when I say I didn't care anymore, I mean, I didn't care about what people thought anymore. I didn't I didn't care if anybody was like, oh, man, he's he's over there asking for help. No, I, I felt like I was more empowered, you know, in a way uh, by asking for help. And and it did um, by by sharing my stories. Um, it helped me process it more as well, because I got it all out there. And then people um, commenting on a lot of those, they understood more. You know, they, they understood a lot about what dispatch was going through and, and what it's like. And I, it, it, was, it was satisfying in a way, you know, to know that people were, were actually starting to understand and take notice to more of what dispatch does. Because a lot of times, you know, dispatch is, just gets thrown off to the side, mm -hmm. you know, specifically, you know, like debriefings. For a long time, we were never in the debriefings. And then we started to go in there uh, slowly. And then, you know, some of the those out in the field would say, how come you haven't been coming to this the whole time? And and it was more the higher ups who were like, they didn't know what to say, because those were the ones who were saying, no, we don't need dispatch here. But, you know, um, things started changing and, you know, started learning so much more. So for me, you know, going through that burnout doing all of these projects and talking about it way more, I mean, the impact was, it was heavy because, uh, but in a good way, because I, I was able to process it a lot more. Again, like I said, it was, it was therapeutic to be able to do this. And I noticed that more people started sharing as well, and it started to build up. And, uh, and it was basically a new day where when it felt like we were not allowed to feel we were feeling now. Yeah, that's awesome. It was good. That's awesome. So you you started doing that if I'm like calculating right like 11 years ago, is that right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been going on for for a while now and just sharing stories and uh again, I say it all the time and I'll continue to say it. It's just it's been an amazing experience to be able to do it. Yeah. And uh, you can tell that when I listen to you, I mean, you are still probably, I don't know, maybe you're even more enthusiastic now than you were when you started, but you have so much enthusiasm when you, you talk about this stuff. And, and so that, that definitely comes across. I know you have video and it's not just a podcast. Um, it's mm -hmm. not just audio, but even if you couldn't see your face, you could tell just by listening. 
So that's, that's awesome. And it's infectious too. People want to hear and keep listening. So thank you for, for that. No, hey, thank you. It, like I said, it's been, it's been really good and I, I enjoy it. If, if what I've been doing helps just one person, I mean, to share and to continue sharing and others to share, it's been, it's all been worth it. Yep. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. And you, you do some pretty other amazing things too. So you, um, you started something called the I am 911 movement. Can you, can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Of course. Um, so this was, uh, it was 2016. I was out of dispatch for three years now. Um, cause when I, when I had started the podcast, as I told you through this uh, crowdfunding uh, platform that I did, there was a company that actually ended up, um, donating money, uh, to help out. And it was the company that I actually later on worked for. Um, they found me through the podcast. So, you know, I end up leaving dispatch and I'm working for this company. And because they supported the podcast, I continued doing it and continued doing it. And actually I told them before I said, yes, that I was going to work for them, that I'm not stopping. <laughs> I said, I'm not stopping the podcast. Just so you know, I'm still going to be doing this. And they said, well, this is how we found you and we support it. And cause they're a 911 solutions company. Oh, so okay. they said, you know, what you're doing, you know, we support. So we're all about it. So yeah, continue doing what you're doing. And I thought, okay, good. <laughs> this will be good. Um, so, you know, fast forward to 2016 and I'm out in, uh, in Florida for a, uh, a national conference. So I was there for work, but I was the following week, I was going to be there just on regular vacation. But during this time, there were two, um, big 911 organizations who were trying to, um, get a reclassification for 911 dispatchers and call takers. Cause currently, um, they are seen, um, in the the clerical class is what it's called. Right. So 911 dispatchers are in there with commercial dispatchers as well, uh, like taxis, semis, but also clerical workers. And uh, so they were trying to do something to get them reclassified into the protective class, which would be with all of, you know, public safety, but also like lifeguards. And I can't remember all the other ones that are in there, but, um, there wasn't a lot of traction that I saw that was going on. And, and one of the things that they were both looking for at the time were stories. They were looking for hard data protocols, you know, all this other stuff, but they were looking for some stories. So because they were both looking for stories and I had already been telling stories for a while, I thought, why not insert myself into this battle? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, but do it in a way where it's going to be um, jaw dropping. Like I, I wanted, I wanted to give people a, a glimpse of dispatch, just a just one glimpse of a call that someone may have taken. That um, it is just raw, it is true to life. What it is that dispatchers do to prove that nine one dispatchers and call takers are different from the others that are in that class. And, and this was, like I said, just to raise awareness. <clears throat> and what I had um, told people was, so I shared one of my stories first, and then I asked them to do the same thing. And so I created a meme, I had a, a, an image, and it was of, uh, it, it had a full moon on it. And the the story on it just simply said, 
I heard your last breath the night you flipped your four-wheeler. Mm. Hashtag I am 911. Wow. And and I shared it on the podcast page and, and I said, I, I want to try to raise some awareness of this reclassification issue. And this is how I want to do it. And the reason I put on there, I was the one, um, is because to me, that was like another form of communication with those that I spoke to. I'm never going to meet them. But if they happened to see that story, they would know that I was there with them, that they were not alone. I was there with them during that call for the whole rest of that time. Right. And so I put it out there that way. And that's just a glimpse of that. And it it exploded. Like people started sharing and sharing and sharing. But it quickly turned into peer support because there were people who were sending in stories who along with the stories, one that I remember specifically saying, my hands are still shaking after typing this out. I've been holding on to this call for so long. But thank you, because now it's out and I can process it better. So that was something I never thought was going to happen. All So many people that had been like me in the beginning, who was, you know, bearing my calls. But now they had an outlet because all of these stories are anonymous um, that the people were sending in. And they were coming in so fast that my notifications broke. Oh my, my gosh. So they're coming in through email, you mean? People are reaching um, out to on, you or? So this was on the Facebook uh, podcast page. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So they're coming into the inbox. And I think what really set it over was the fact that I told people, if you don't know how to create a meme, just send us the text and we'll do it for you. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so people were just sending stories and sending and sending and sending. And I remember I had, I had posted this image. And my son and I were going to go visit my mom, who lived like 10 minutes from uh, my in-laws. And uh, my wife and my daughters were going to stay behind. So in just those 10 minutes of going over there, all of this was happening. And I remember I had the, the notifications on, like the, the sound rather. And my son goes, oh, looks like you struck a nerve or something like <laughs> And I just, I just was driving and I didn't know what to do. Uh, and... Or to say, I was like, yeah, I guess so. And then we get to my mom's and she's like, what's going on? I was like, I did something. And I'm just like scrolling and scrolling. And later on that night, I ended up, um, I think I recorded an episode about it. And it might have been like episode 114, maybe <laughs> something like that. But um, I talked about what I had done. And that if people wanted to continue sending stories and to do so. But over that weekend, um, we started seeing stories um, that were hashtag I am 999, which is the UK. And then those in Canada were sharing, but they're also 911. So, you know, it continued with 911. But then there were some, uh, a few out of New Zealand, and that was the I am 111. And then Australia, which was their 999. So they were... They were sharing some stories, or I'm sorry, zero 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 is Australia. So they were sharing I am zero zero zero. So all of these stories were being shared from all over the world, and it was, it was almost as if the entire thin gold line had come together, for, for what we were doing in sharing these stories. I mean, on, on Twitter, it was trending at number three, and I thought, what? I never thought that was going to happen. Um, but I remember seeing someone tweet 
that wasn't even, it wasn't in public safety or anything, but someone had retweeted someone else saying the stories of I am nine on one are so gut wrenching, but so powerful and eye opening as well. And I thought, what have I done? Well, <laughs> but it, it was a good thing. It, it is. And you're just, you know, you're giving me, ch I'm getting chills just like listening to the way that this all unfolded, like how powerful um, what you did, what you started and just the ripple effect that it had. That's amazing. You've got to just even still talking about it. Just think back and think, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it was a, a really cool thing, but you know, also at that time I had to add like three more admins to the page. I was going to so ask you could... about that. Did you do memes for all of those people that you promised? Every single one. Oh, wow. And... That's a lot of work. Well, so not only that, but we're still doing uh, or sharing stories from September 2016 oh, and it's 2021 now. Wow. Okay. So there's that many stories that have come in and we are still sharing. There are so many that so on, on the podcast page on Facebook, there's there's an, um, a photo album that is just all I am 91 stories. And I think maybe there's about 1200 that are in there. That's not even doesn't even scratch the surface of the amount that are still in the inbox of like all the social media accounts and also the the podcast uh, email. So there are tons that are still there, and uh, we're we're getting them out. We're still getting them all out there. But it's been uh, it's been good to be able to share these stories, especially you know um, for those who were for who were holding those stories in, and now they're able to do it and and just get it out there. And even if it's if, if one of those stories hasn't been put out there yet and but it's been sent in to your to mm -hmm. your Facebook page, even just the fact that they had that opportunity or outlet to send it and like type it out like you were saying, that had to have been so helpful for for people. Yeah, a lot of people had said that uh, it was a very um cathartic, you know, to to be able to do it and 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 to get it out there. And uh, to see, you know, to end up seeing it in meme form, because what we would end up doing, and we still do, is we'll read the story and we'll find an image that relates, that kind of relates in a sense to uh, to that story. You know, one of the ones um, was a few months ago now that I put out there, but it was, and, and I had hesitated to do it this way, but I had gotten this story and it had to do with the uh, the call taker saying that they just wished that they could have reached through the phone to hug their caller. Mm. And I found a picture of uh, of a girl who was embracing another one and added the story. And I sent it to her and I said, this was what I thought was was a good image for it, because in a sense, you're able to give this person a hug through this image. And and she was all about it. And I thought, oh, thank the Lord, <laughs> because, you know, a, a lot of people who were sending in the images, their own images, they were doing the same thing. They were looking for images that related to what it was um, that they were that they were writing about. So, you know, I started out that doing it that way. Others started doing it as well. And then every time a story comes in, I just try to find an image um, that, that relates to it. Some of them don't have an image. Some of them is just, you know, a text on a, a colored background, but, um, that's mostly because that's, you know, what the, what the person wanted. 
Right. And so you, you mentioned too, though, so you were saying when all this first started, you had no idea what the impact was going to be, obviously Mm -hmm. still dealing with it. Um, But you said something about peer support, how these people were, you felt like it kind of turned into that. And it sounds like, and we'll shift gears just slightly here because it relates that you kind of filled that gap by some of the things that you're doing now by some of these conferences. Uh, I think I'm, hopefully I'm saying this right, dare to be great. Maybe some other things that you're doing. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that in a way you're offering education, but maybe some peer support things as well in doing that? For sure. Yeah. So when it relates to the peer support part, um, you know, the, the movement, so it started in 2016 and about, a year later in 2017, I, I created a session to do live at conferences. And what I had been doing, though, was I, I wanted to find a way to get these stories out to a bigger audience. So I thought, why not record some episodes where it's just me talking, but I am reading these stories. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it'd be like 30 minutes and I, I would read a bunch of stories that were submitted. Um, and I remember sitting there and I just thought, man, I bet people can't even imagine listening to something like this. And I thought, that sounds like a good title. <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 I used that and, and turned it into um, a session at conferences called Imagine Listening. And the tagline for it is, uh, your worst day is our everyday. And... I, I called it that because I wanted people to think about it in just that way. Like, imagine listening to whatever this story is. And what I did for this session, and I didn't know if any, if anybody was even going to want to try to do this. But again, just took a leap and, and tried to do it. So I had a packed room, uh, standing room only, at this conference in Indiana. And... It was the first time that I did imagine listening. So the first 30 minutes, I would give the audience the chance to share their personal I Am 901 stories. They can either share the story uh, in long form, or they could share it in I Am 901 format, where you say, you know, I was the one who took the call, or I was the one who was here, or, you know, like that, um, which is kind of a shorter version as well of some of those stories. And uh, the last half would be open mic, which would be all the funny 901 stories. So we would start out emotionally intense, but we would end it on a good note sure. with sharing mm-hmm. because, you know, laughter is good medicine. Definitely. So we, we started it out and no one, no one wanted to share a story. And I had these challenge coins and I said, you know, if you, if you share a story out loud, you will earn one of these challenge coins. And nobody, no one wanted to take the first, um, the first step. No one wanted to share a story. So I ended up saying, if you would like to write down the story and have me read it, I I had a friend of mine who was co-presenting there with me uh, at the same time. I said, we'll read it for you. And man... All you could hear was whack, whack. people were sh- were pulling and, and sharing pieces of paper and writing stories as fast as they could. Oh my, wow. And then it finally, one person, took one person to take the microphone and share out loud. And then another person, another person. And it was, it was hard to explain being in a room 
and sharing stories like that, hearing people cry and really feel, mm -hmm. you know, and, and support each other there, though. But they were we were all healing and finding closure in sharing these stories. And it was an amazing moment. And every time I've done it, whether it be in person or virtual, it's been an amazing moment. Um, but that first time, you know, we were, were reading all of these stories. And when we were done, I think we went over those 30 minutes. Um, when we were done, though, you know, I, I said thank you to everyone. I said, you know, you don't you don't realize, but we're actually healing right now with each other in support because we all know what it is that we go through when we're taking these calls. And now we're finally feeling what it is. Mm -hmm. And and I thanked everyone and, you know, everyone applauded and stuff. And I remember saying, who's ready to laugh? And every, do you see people throw their arms up? They're like, yes, please, let's laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, that was one of those things where um, at the time I, I really didn't think about the fact that it was it was peer support. It, it took a friend after seeing what I was doing to say, you realize you're doing like a peer support session, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you're getting people to say stuff that probably would take, you know, um, you know, a therapist forever to get out of them. But because you come from where they come from, you guys are talking and it's such a good thing. You know, keep doing it. So Imagine Listening has been amazing to be able to do at in-person conferences, but then, of course, these virtual events as well, like Dare to be Great. Yeah, and so with Dare to be Great, because I, I didn't get the opportunity to listen in to your last one last week, could you just maybe share a little bit about what that's like? And I think you said you have guest speakers on different topics as well as sharing the stories that you just described. Yeah, so Dare to be Great actually started... Um, a little bit after the world shut down, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit after the, the pandemic, yeah. because, you know, all, everything was being canceled, postponed. You know, nobody knew what was going to happen. But all of these conferences were just going out the window. And a lot of the, you know, in-person training, of course, was just being shot down. And I thought, I wonder what's going to happen with, like, continuing education. Like, how, how are people going to get their training and stuff? And a, a few months before that, I remember sitting with a friend of mine and I said, you know how cool it would be for us to all, you know, be at the same conference and and for people to be able to to see all of us like one right after the other, but to also be able to give back this, you know, this continuing education for for Daiwan dispatchers and call takers because they, they do a hard job. And, uh, you know, we've been there before. And, uh, you know, we didn't have these opportunities before, but what if we could do that? Like, how cool would that be? Because one of the things that I, I would always hear going to conferences is I want to go to your session, but I want to go to their session, too. So if you have a, an encore or a replay or something, you know, I'll go on the next day. So everyone was always getting separated and having to choose and not getting a chance to see someone. And, uh, you know, a lot of times with um, centers, they don't have the money to send people places. So when um, or, you know, or have that opportunity later on to be able to go to a conference, sometimes places don't ever send people. So with this going on, I had uh, you know, the platform that I use for for other things that I was doing. And I thought, what what if I could use that to create a virtual conference like that'd be really cool. And so I started attending some of their webinars uh, because a lot of people started using platforms to do virtual events. And um, I got a hold of 
of all the the speakers that I knew, and I said, let's let's do this. I said we should we should do this together, and if we can do it, offer it for free, so that we can get as many people to to join in, and learn and continue. You know this this you know learning that people aren't getting right now. Um, I said let's dare to be great. I said this is our this is our moment. This is the era of the headset. Like we can we can give something back because that's where we come from. And, uh, and we got together and I started putting together videos and stuff and put it out there and people were so excited for it. So there are tons of different topics. The first one, I think we had 18 speakers. And then the second and third one, we had 47. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and in some of those sessions, you know, there's, um, there was, and it, the other thing too, was that this was for dispatch by dispatch. Cause we all, all of us that were speaking, we all come from dispatch and, and we were speaking on different topics that, um, you know, the, that the attendees like really wanted to learn about. So it, it was awesome to be able to do it. And also, you know, we were telling them, you know, every single phone call you take is a dare to be great moment. This whole pandemic, everything that we do we're daring to be great in one way or another. So why don't we dare to be great together and, and learn from each other? And that's how the conference started. And it just, it exploded. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And you know, people were learning a lot. They really got into it. And you, I mean, you've got like the coolest catchphrases. I mean, like dare to be great and within the trenches and era of the headset. <laughs> like, how do you think of this stuff? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> It's, I, I guess it's, you know, sometimes me just kind of throwing stuff out there that I think sounds cool. And then I'm like, it probably sounds dorky, but you know what? I don't care. Like, I believe in it and I, I feel like it's it sounds kind of cool. So, hey, why not? And I don't know. Well, I like them. So <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, that's uh, no, really. It's pretty catchy. All the things you're saying, I'm like jotting them down. I'm like, how does he think about that? That's just really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just I think it's just I don't know. It's just the, the passion for for 911 and everything that I've been I've been doing all this time. And to be able to give back that was when I left dispatch. That was my my main goal was to to do something to be able to give back to the profession that I love so much. You know, I went through a lot of stuff and I learned a lot and I just want people to learn from, you know, my experience and then also build upon that for that next generation that's going to be coming in. Yeah, because it does seem, and I don't know if you're noticing this with, with younger dispatchers as well, just the younger generation. I mean, I know a lot of people bag on the younger generation, but I find that the younger, like the recruits that I talk to and get to teach and, and do some peer support stuff with, they're very open and accepting of the kind of things that we're talking about that um, were never talked about 20, 25 years ago when, you know, mm -hmm. you and I probably first started out. So I'm encouraged by the fact that they get to get all this from the start. And it'd just be interesting to kind of see how, how that helps them throughout the course of their career to, to navigate these tougher times. Yeah. Cause there's, there's way more resources mm -hmm. now yes. than, you know, when I first started out, it was, you know, you take your call, you kind of just 
suck it up buttercup and uh you know you continue on you you deal with it however you deal with it and uh, you know some of those ways they were just it was not good you know there wasn't a lot of sleep tons of caffeine or you know if you're if you're awake late on your days off you're like ah, thing's gonna have a few beers and then you know and and you, then you fall into a cycle and then you've got to figure out how to get out of that because nobody else is really talking about it for all i know there might have been others who were dealing with it as well but because that stigma was there that uh you know that fear of of looking weak i don't want to talk nobody would say anything yeah and i think there um, are people that are still pretty um pretty uptight and unwilling to talk about it but i think like just the more we talk about it the more outlets the more podcasts the more people are just sharing their stories then you just never know. And I know you already said this earlier, but I feel the same way you do in that I may say something, you may say something, another person may say something, but it just takes the right time and the right voice and the right way to, to actually, you know, for that person to hear it. And that's, that's mm -hmm. what it's all about. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. So Ricardo, when we were talking earlier, you told me you had a story for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So what, what is that? So this, it, it has to do with my time in dispatch, of course. Okay. Um, it also kind of relates to the I am nine one movement. Cause it's, it's a story that I shared and, um, it's, it's one that sticks with me, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a good way, mm -hmm. but you know, so in dispatch, you know, I was there, like I had mentioned earlier, just for hours on end. And a lot of times, and this is probably in, in any, uh, of course, in, in any profession, we don't always take care of ourselves, right? We're always taking care of everyone else. But when it comes to us, eh, I'll, I'll stick it out. Like I can make it through, right? So, um, yeah, I was having a lot of back issues and a lot of like, you know, stiff neck and shoulder, like to the point where some of this pain would go up into my temple and it just, it would made for such a horrible time. And I didn't, didn't really do anything about it, but I finally found a way to, um, to kind of help myself heal. And that was through yoga. Never thought that I would ever get into yoga. Like my wife did it all the time. I would see her doing it. And I remember saying, yeah, you're not going to see me do that. And mainly another fear thing there, because I thought, oh, I'm going to be doing this and she's probably going to make fun of me or someone else is going to be like, dude, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing yoga? And uh, <laughs> so, you know, I had that fear, but then just like everything else, when, when I finally just didn't care about what people thought and I was going to ask for help, it was the same way with yoga because the pain was so bad that I thought, if this is going to help, forget what people think. I'm going to go ahead and do it. So just one yoga session no, actually really? took away... Mm a lot of the issues that I was having. Wow. And I thought, hell yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep doing this. So I'm a firm believer that a lot of things that we deal with in life, we end up coming up to a situation that whatever we experienced in our past might help us in whatever that situation is, you know, at that time. And I've spoken to a lot of people uh, on the podcast where they have said, you know, they went through this and then they took a call. And it felt like that call was meant for them. 
because of what they dealt with in the past, that they might have been able to deal with that person way better than anybody else could because of their experience. And I believe in that because it happened to me. And I took a call once and there was a lady on the line who wanted to commit suicide. And she had said that she had been dealing with a lot of back pain and a lot of neck pain. And right away, I'm thinking about myself. Sure. You know, I'm putting myself in her shoes so that I can relate to her. You know, we're, we're empaths that way. A lot of us are. We put ourselves in their shoes so that we can understand and, and relate because it, it helps the call, helps the caller. It helps everybody out in the field. It makes for a more smooth experience as we're, as we're going through all of this. And so I'm listening to her and she's just, she's done. She's crying. She says she's done. I've already got help heading out there. And I had a trainer who, um, and former coworker who, when he would talk to suicidal callers, he would ask them about their interests. He would be human, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? He would, that human factor, and, and ask them what their interests are and then talk to them about it until help got there to keep their mind off of what it was that they initially called for, which was taking their own life. So I did the same thing by saying, I've dealt with the same thing in my past. And I remember before I did it, I thought, you know, help me please that by doing this will be a good thing. Like I, I want this person to know that they're not alone. So I end up telling her this and I said, you know, I dealt with a lot of back pain myself and neck pain and, and you know, and telling her where I felt it in my temple. She's like, I feel the same thing. You do know what I'm, what I've been going through. And I said, yes. I said, but there's, I found a way you know, for, for myself to, to kind of heal what I was going through. And it was, it was yoga. And I remember her being like, what yoga? And so I was explaining a lot of this stuff. And when we got to the, when, when we got to the end of our conversation, EMS had checked out there and I told her that they were there, that they were going to come in and, and help her out. And she said, thank you. She said she didn't, she didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. She didn't want to kill herself anymore, that she was going to try out yoga. Oh, incredible. So every time I practice yoga, I think of that person. Mm, I bet. And just wonder what happened to them. Hopefully, you know, hopefully they're still practicing and uh, and everything is good. Yeah, that's, but, ooh, uh, you gave me chills again for like the third time during our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you know, you just made me think of something not even re related to yoga, believe it or not, but just how hard that's got to be sometimes for people that can't ever know or see necessarily the person on the other end of that line, like how it turns out. Um, and I, and of course, other first responders don't know that either, but I think it's more so for dispatch because you never see them face to face. You never know what they look like. And um, of course, never know, you know, how things have ended up. So that's, that's oftentimes I I've been thinking about that when I hear stories like that from dispatchers. It's, it's a hard thing. That closure part is very crucial, mm -hmm. <laughs> but also, you know, up to us to, and of course, if we get a chance to be able to ask you know, someone who might have been out there um, because, you know, they'll tell you if they have a chance, they'll, they'll tell you. And, and it definitely helps um, 
you know, the gory details, of course, that there's, we don't need to hear that, but we need, you know, some of the stuff just to know, you know, what happened or anything like that to help with that closure piece. That is always good. But, but I love the story too, just because it demonstrates that you just never know what could work for you. There's so many different resources out there that you may not have ever thought of. And, and if you just kind of open your mind a little bit, you, you know, like you talked about yoga, laughing at it, and there's a little bit of ego involved probably about mm -hmm. being laughed at. And I'm sure I know you talked to Olivia from yoga for first responders. So she, she talks about that all the time, especially because mostly men who are the ones that are at least the cops that are doing yoga and firefighters, they're the ones who have to kind of overcome that. But, but yeah, people often don't think about the chronic pain and how it can really be a valuable tool in, in helping because I've done yoga now for, you know, 14 years and I did never did yoga for chronic pain, but a couple of years ago I have, you know, not exactly the same story, but I had a lot of back pain in which mm -hmm. I had no idea what was happening. I would drive to work and I'd be in tears because I was in so much pain. I eventually learned I had a cyst that was pressing on one of my nerves and that's what was causing the pain. But um, not necessarily the physical postures of yoga, because yoga involves a lot of other things as well. But when I would just sit, because I didn't know what else to do, but because of my training, I knew I could always come back to my breathing, my breath, and my practice in that way. And even just like five to 10 minutes of that every day helps alleviate so much of the pain. Now, obviously, it didn't cure my issue in that case, because I needed to get the cyst removed but the pain diminished significantly. So there's just um, so many different, you know, benefits to that practice. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That was a great story. It, it was, you know, it was something that I, I learned later on that, uh, you know, I, I wish I would have known more about or gotten over that ego part, you know, because mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of times where, you know, we don't ever want to admit that we're the ones who has the issue. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're we're you and I are not alone in that. There's I think that's everybody else in the entire universe, not just public safety and first responders. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, um, I guess we need to wrap up because we have been talking for a while and it's been so much fun for me. I really appreciate it. But before we end, I do want to make sure that people know where to find you. So you had mentioned to me earlier before we recorded about your um, your Patreon membership and I've got a lot of other things. So if you could talk about that so people know where Ricardo is at. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so you can uh, check out Within the Trenches podcast on you know anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, you can find it on there and, um, you know, we're all over social media, Facebook, uh, it's just within the trenches podcast on Facebook and then, uh, at WTT or I'm sorry, at 901 podcast for Twitter. WTT is the Instagram one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So WTT podcast is for, for Instagram, but, um, uh, for Patreon is patreon.com. Uh, and that one is slash WTT podcast. And, uh, uh, you can find bonus content there. So, um, you know, patrons of the podcast end up getting early access to episodes. They get swag, um, and, uh, a few other bonus content. I do a, <laughs> I do a, a singing badly in my car where I have, uh, <laughs> cameras set up in my car and patrons will suggest a song and uh i'll learn it <laughs> and and i'll i'll sing it in in the car and uh, you know i do all the angles just like you know car carpool karaoke but it's my version of it 
and it's called Singing Badly in My Car. And we can so. only see that if we have the paid membership, right? <laughs> right. Darn it. Yeah, there's okay. some. Yeah, <laughs> but I do put teasers out there. Okay. And sometimes the teasers alone are hilarious because I just look like a dork. But it's it's funny. It's it's a lot of fun to do. So that's that's part of that bonus part. But uh, um, you can go to withinthetrenches.net and find all the other information there. There's blog posts from the beginning when I first started doing all of this. And, uh, you know, every single episode is is posted on there. Um, if you go to withinthetrenches.net slash bizcard, that's B-I-Z card, um, you'll find all the links and, and everything there. It's probably a lot easier just to go there. But, uh, yeah, that's where that's where everything is at and where you can find me. And uh, it's been really good. It's been an awesome experience and also an honor to be here with you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you, you're doing such awesome stuff. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to ask, and we can always edit this out. But yeah. let's end with a funny story because we talked about a lot of things, a lot of heavy things, but such great stuff. You talked about funny stories that you do with your I am 911 uh, movement. So if you could think of one. Yeah. So, you know, for, for open mic, we, we always have um, a bunch of funny stories that go on there. And <laughs> there is uh, there was one that I remember we, we were doing um, a live session and we had done all of the, you know, the emotionally intense ones. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the funny ones. And the person who is telling this story, you know, she she starts telling the story and she says, you know, this guy calls in and he is, you know, he's very upset and he says that his friend's not breathing. So when she's telling the story, though, she's pretty animated. So we're we start chuckling. And then but when she gets to that part about the friend not breathing, then everyone is kind of looking at each other like, should we be laughing at this? Mm -hmm. Like, where is this going? And and she goes, hear me out. And we're like, OK, continue. And then, you know, she's telling the story how she's she's starting CPR. And, you know, the guy ends up, you know, getting a little more upset and says, my baby, my baby's not breathing. My baby's not breathing. And then you hear a like there's just gasp. And then. I don't know where to go with it because these episodes or these sessions are also episodes. Yeah. Like I play these out. So in my head, I'm all thinking, I'm going to have to delete this. Like <laughs> I, I can't play this. And, and she's, she's telling the story and she's, you know, kind of being colorful with the language as well because of how the call is going. And um, when, there's an officer who gets out there first. And she's like, oh, good. They're going to get out there. He can help this baby, this guy and his baby and everything's baby. He's not breathing. And the officer says, slow everyone down, dispatch, slow everyone down and, um, you know, cancel EMS. And she goes, what the F? You know, she's like swearing, you know, like covering the phone. She's, you know, she's she's motioning that she's covering the phone. You know, what the F? Like, why would they stop that? The baby's not breathing. And then the officer comes over the radio and says, central it's an iguana. Oh boy! <laughs> and so then, so then you hear the room erupt in laughter because at that time, because we don't know that it's an iguana, everyone is on the edge of their seats, mm -hmm. and no one knows whether to laugh or not <laughs> because that would be bad, right? Like, why are you laughing at this? But it turns out that you know what it ended up being was this, and and this was this person's, um, this was their emergency, right? You know sure. their. This was their friend. This was this was their iguana. But this whole time, 
the dispatcher thinks that she is doing CPR or giving CPR instructions for a father who's possibly going to lose their infant, but it ends up being an iguana. Oh, boy. And it, there's stories like that where a bunch of, like, you know, animals and, and other stuff that you would never believe. But, um, yeah, that's just one of the funny ones that, that ended up coming out. And it just end up thinking sometimes, is this real life? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, because we definitely need to laugh in this in this profession. So that's so great that you you make sure that you end on that note. Mm-hmm. Well, Ricardo, thank you again. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And again, thanks for all the great stuff that you're doing. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed my episode with Ricardo. If you find value in this episode, I ask you to please share it, give us a review. And if you'd like to be notified of future episodes and want to receive our future newsletter, you can subscribe on our Podbean website. I'd love to hear from you with feedback, questions, suggestions for future topics or guests. And check out the show notes if you want to know where exactly to find Ricardo and his podcast. Okay.